Hey everyone, welcome to our next episode of The Encounter. We are on January 17th of 2021. We are working on lesson number seven, and today it's entitled The Ministry of the Son of Man. Before we get going, again, I am Sister Becky. I pastor a couple of churches in Western Kentucky. We have with us today Reverend Dr. Chris Fleming and Pastor Logan Dixon. So hi, everybody. Nice to see you today. Salutations. Um, we've got a couple of great programs for you. Monday morning, Monday morning megaphone. That's a tongue twister, Logan. Monday morning megaphone um, on all of your podcasts, wherever you can get those, look those up. Logan, how's that? On YouTube, you can find my Welcome to My Porch bi-weekly devotionals. And you can just look up my name, Rebecca Zardi, and find those. Upcoming on February 7th, is our denominational Sunday. And there's some awesome resources. If you flip to the very back of your encounter, starting on page 91, you will find some great resources for denominational Sunday. A couple of great books like Good News on the Frontier and A People Called Cumberland Presbyterians. We encourage you to check those out. All right, before we get into our awesome lesson today, let us have the prayer for illumination. Holy God, we ask that your spirit guide us in meditation on your word so that we might be led more deeply into knowledge of you and love for all your creatures and creations. In Christ we pray. Amen. This week, our memory verse is verse 21, and it says, Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right. Easy one. Everybody should be able to get that one. Yeah, simple, short, have a go at it. Chris, you were our author this week. So where were you going with the introduction? <clears throat> um, so probably if you grew up anytime in my age bracket, our age bracket or um, above, if you took any kind of business organization class or human organization class, you were hit over the head with the thought that everything had to have a statement of purpose, a mission statement, an organizational statement. And I think, I think uh, people are getting away from that a little bit and talking about more guiding principles. But at least when I was growing up, the mission statement uh, was pretty important. And, and I still think it's an important thing for sure. Uh, and basically what we have then in uh, this lesson, this chapter of Luke is Jesus saying, here's my mission statement. Like, um, we'll talk about that later, so I won't get into it, but um, it's good to have an organizational statement. If you've been at a church that's slightly dysfunctional, a lot of times uh, it's because they, they don't have one, one thing that they're trying to do. They're trying to do eight things, right? And so it, it doesn't work out real well. Um, and then I brought in this Celtic Christianity thing. Um, I learned this in a seminary class taught by Barry Anderson. Uh, where they did these rules of life. Uh, if you know about monast monasteries or, or these types of things or convents or whatnot, each order has a certain rule that if you're going to be part of that group, you're going to abide by these things. And those things are anywhere from how many prayers you're going to say in a day, when you're going to eat, what type of service you're going to do, and so on and so forth. And it's a way of making life simpler, but also allowing life to be you know, a cup or a bowl in which to receive God's blessings, right? It's a structured way to do that. And so um, essentially I was using that to say, this is what Jesus's ministry is going to be about, according to Luke. It's the 
proclaiming the year of Jubilee, right? It's that he is the Messiah that ushers in this new age and what that looks like. So um, that's what I got. And we'll talk awesome. more. I, uh, I've done a rule of life because of Barry, his Celtic Christianity class, and I revised it a lot. Uh, and, and if Becky or, or Logan reminds me, we'll talk briefly about exactly what it looks like, how to do it, and, and how it's beneficial. So, mm-hmm. Mission statements are incredibly important. Um, since I've been at both the congregations that I'm, I'm with currently for the last three years, that was something that we were working on developing was our own mission statements. I think too many times, um, smaller churches especially, get caught up in the concept of, well, we can't do everything that the big churches are doing down the street, so we just, we just don't, and, or we're spreading ourselves way, way, way too thin, like you said, they're involved in way too many things, and giving you that mission statement kind of helps get that focus onto something that's manageable and, and doable, and I really liked um, all the, all the awesome points that you gave us about mission statements in here. Logan. Yeah, I mean, the last church that I attended that I didn't pastor, um, our mission statement was literally love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We we just kind of used the greatest commandment as our as our mission statement. That's and, good. Uh, and you know it still. Right. And so, yeah, I do know it still, um, because that was one of the things that our pastor would intentionally, like he, he always preached through books of the Bible, but at about, oh, I would say, I don't know, March or April, he would always take a step away from whatever he was preaching on to intentionally preach that passage. That's good. That's Um, how a mission statement is supposed to work too. And it's supposed mm -hmm. to clarify every decision, like what is our organization doing? And like I said, every once in a while, you got to say, is this what we're doing? Or we're not. Right. Yeah, and I think Becky's right. I think I think smaller churches do caught, get caught up in the whole, well, you know, we're not the bigger church down the street, and so we might as well not do anything. Or they also get or they get caught up in, in jealousy. And they don't they don't want to say they're jealous, but that's what they are because right. every time that every time someone says something about bigger churches or the church down the road, you know the numbers. Jealous. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and so what a mission statement does is it recognizes where you're at, but it also recognizes where you want to go, and then it, sure. and then you're you're judged not on somebody's somebody else's understanding of what a successful church is. You're being you're being faithful to what God's calling you to do, and it gives you a way to say, are we or are we not, and then mm-hmm. adjust it as you need to. That's the other thing about a mission. Mm-hmm. It can be. So. I think you really had a good point there that, you know, that you're being faithful to what God's calling you to, because each church is called to something different. So it's not like every church in your town is not all called to run the local food bank. It's not all called to run a local clothes shelter. It's what is your specific context being called to. Speaking of which, I think we have some great resources at the denomination to kind of help you if you're, if your church is in a process where it's just not sure where to go and what direction it is. Um, Chris, who is it that they need to contact to kind of help get them guided and going in that direction? Um, Christy Lounsbury is the one okay. that you would need to contact. Um, I will say that because it's me and Christy, but I'm busy right now. No. Uh, 
we are in the process of, of figuring it out. Uh, we've got everything in line and we're getting logos and all this stuff. And so hopefully here pretty soon, what will end up happening is, is that we hope that if a church is wanting to try a new mission statement or a new ministry or something, we can come side by side, help with training or, you know, help with uh, asking those questions of what are we supposed to be about? Very much like, you know, what is God calling us to do? So a, a time of discernment and then a help implementing. And so, um, and thanks for bringing and, that up. Well, you know, I think I think part of what it comes down to is evaluating why you exist as a church. Yes. You know, and you know, whenever and whenever you ask, whenever you ask a church or a quorum of elders, you know, why does this church exist? They the first answer they're going to give you is because, well, back in nineteen whatever, someone decided we needed a Cumberland Presbyterian Church. But that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking how is it that you came into existence, although that's important too. I'm asking why is it that you exist now? What does God want mm-hmm. to do with you in this day and age? And I yes. think that's I think that's what we need to really answer if we're going to help people in our community, if we're going to shine the light of the gospel uh, where we are. We can't just really we can't just expect to keep on existing and and you know sit on our blessed assurance and do nothing. Um, and I think that what you're saying is exactly what happened in the Book of Luke, in the sense God in, or Christ laid out, "This is what I'm here for." And then mm-hmm. this is when people started taking sides, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was the, the beginning of the unfolding of um, um, the Simeon song, I should say. Like what Simeon prophesied, this is the beginning of that rising and falling and, and, and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, so, I, I, yes, that's, that's where we're at. So that's mm-hmm. pretty good. I think it was a good introduction. Absolutely. I think it was a, a great introduction. I think one of the things I, I loved in here was you said it helps us talking about a rule for ourselves is it helps us to stay centered, bringing perspective and clarity to the way of life to which God has called us, which is exactly what we've been talking about, whether it's personally or whether it's churchwide. It is helping us to stay centered and keep that focus on where exactly we're supposed to be and not going off in 5 million different directions. Correct. Anything else on the introduction, guys? Anything else you want to throw in? I'm good with it. I think that's, I think that's, that sums it up fairly well. Okay. How about exploring the scripture? Where are we heading with that one? Um, we're heading in the same direction that we started. And so, uh, like I said, it's Luke's job. We're focused. We're focused. <laughs> I mean, really we are. <laughs> in the sense of this is the unfolding story of Luke saying, this is the Messiah. And then this is the time when the Messiah says, and this is what the Messianic kingdom is going to be about. This is what my life is going to be about. This is what my ministry is going to be about. And it separates itself from the prevailing religion of the time or the temple religion. Uh, He, Christ begins to make this very big dividing line to where, Hey, they're going to worry about rules, laws, Christ is going to, it will fulfill all those and certainly not destroy them. But he's saying the purpose of that law goes a step further. It's going to be the transformation of your heart for the transformation of the world. And so um, I think that's pretty much where I'm trying to go to there. Logan, what were your thoughts on that section? Um, I really, I really liked the uh, last sentence on the third paragraph. 
Jesus has come to proclaim freedom for all who suffer, and all includes those people whom the good religious folk would consider unworthy to be freed or included in God's company. I, you know, because I think we get into, especially especially nowadays, man, be, politics is so hot and heavy. I think we get into this mode of thinking that, you know, we're on this side, so we're on this side and we're voting for this guy and we're supporting this platform. So we're holier than those guys over there. And don't you even think you're a Christian if you're not voting for my guy, my platform, my cause. And, you know, Jesus really throws a monkey wrench in all that thought process because Jesus comes for those who are outside of our purview, outside of uh, who we would consider to be worthy. And so that's, you know, I think that's important to remember. Because we get caught up in our, yeah, we get caught up in our bubbles. Yeah, that's the thing. And it, it's easy. It's really easy right now because everybody makes it so easy just to point to politics being the, being the thing. But if you've probably been to a church and every church has <laughs> – Every church has like, you know, the SNL church lady. Every church has, has the family or that one group that the church helps all the time. Like Christmas comes around, kids need the haircut, get to go back to school. Every church has a family, whether they're explicitly part of the congregation or it's just somebody, a family who lives in the neighborhood. Just every year, you know, you're going to help them. And then either in the session meetings or when you're talking with people, uh, you might hear a snide comment about those people or are we going to help them again or these kinds of things. And, and not knowing our churches do practice a little bit of pharisaical uh, tendencies sometimes. Um, sometimes it's worse than others. And, and that's another thing that mm-hmm. I, I would bring out here. It's just sometimes we just don't like people you know, that we consider beneath us. And sometimes it's hard to love them. Absolutely. I think that's what Jesus was really challenging here um, in our scripture today. Um, you know, it, it, to me, I love that scripture. It just amazes me just how he said what he said and then bringing that back to the two prophets um, yeah, how many times do we do that in our own life? Uh, we just, we look at people and go, do we pass them by? Do we pass them by and not offer them the opportunity of the gospel? Because we don't, we personally don't think they're worthy. Right. Um, where Christ is telling us that every single one of you, whether you like him or not, whether you agree with him or not, it's everybody is worthy of hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. There's nobody that is excluded from that message. And it might, and it might look like this too, because I've seen myself do this. Like I'll be passing around and, and this, you know, road down the road or whatnot, or passing people in the grocery store. And, and I'll talk myself out of talking to them about Jesus because I'll just say, oh, they don't care about Jesus. And I'm making the biggest assumption in the world <laughs> that yeah. these people don't need or want to hear about Jesus right. and I always feel kind of terrible about that um mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. that's something we got to be on guard about um absolutely I think in this part what I was also trying to do there had to be so Jesus starts off real well in a sermon and everybody's at a boy 
right? This guy's, yeah. hey, this guy's awesome. And then it switches um, to where they want to kill the guy. And so something had to happen. And that's where I figure, at least in my study, and I figure it's where that is. And so when I say Jesus pushes it right in front of him, he's like, you want miracles, just like the people back in the prophet's day, Elijah and Elisha, but God blessed the Gentiles and not the Jews at that time. And maybe I'm going to do the same thing. And maybe that's what got him uh, mm. kind of fired up, right? Because something mm -hmm. had to get fired mm -hmm. up. And I think that's what it is. Just, it was a knock on their pride. Well, let me just say this. Every, I think every pastor at some point has preached a sermon and uh, they could feel people in their congregation wanting to kill them so at least fired and that is true. yeah yeah <laughs> so i you know i, I, felt I, that, I, feel, yeah, I that, feel jesus here yeah i mean like there will be times like you'll say something that needs to be said and the longer you're at a church also that happens and it right. makes it harder too um well i didn't last i didn't last long at my first church so <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but i mean it is that's that's essentially what happened i think of course christ knows and the longer when you're with a congregation you know the you know the you know personalities better and uh, oh yeah and and then and then sometimes you got to push them right and and they'll push back because if you're mm -hmm. a part of a really good church and an elder really really loves their pastor and there's a wise mm -hmm. elder the wise and this has happened to me so i know a wise elder will will call you into the office so to speak in love and just say, hey, see what you're trying to do, but maybe you could go about this like this and, and help you. And, and we're not mm -hmm. Jesus, but uh, but sometimes uh, the message is uh, it's harsh. Um, and, and that's the way it is. But really, yeah. honestly, is, is the gospel supposed to be an easy, easy pill to swallow? Isn't that about confrontation? Yeah, yeah well, joyful, but it should be confrontational. I mean, especially to us as an individual, I think Jesus confronts us on a, on, on a continual basis um, as we grow with him. And as we learn more and learn more about ourselves. I think Jesus continually confronts us on our behavior and our mindset, our attitude. And it's that lifelong process of discipleship. It's that lifelong process of growing um, that I think Jesus gets us with. And sometimes it really hurts. It really hurts. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Calvin said it best whenever he said that the human heart is a factory of idols. We just we, we just keep coming up with and pumping out more things to worship and more things to set our affections on that aren't Jesus. And so whenever, whenever a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, whenever someone lovingly points that out to us, you know, it might offend us because mm -hmm. we don't want to hear that we don't really love God like we think we do. We don't want to hear that we're, we're not as holy as we think we are. Um, but the truth hurts. And, I, you know, B.H. Clendon and an old Pentecostal preacher, he, he was holding a revival at this church, and he was holding like one of those old-fashioned seven-day revivals. And like the first two or three nights, he was preaching hard, hard sermons. And his wife said, honey, you know, you've been preaching good, but when are you going to pour, pour the oil in? And he said, I can't pour the oil in until I wound them. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, the gospel's got to wound us before it can heal us. Yeah, that's true. Um, that, that, I think that brings us to yeah. our reflection question. 
right? Mm -hmm. Our reflection question. Yeah, our our reflection question is, uh, when has a sermon or a bit of spiritual advice from a friend offended you? What was your response? Um, It has happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's happened to all of us. This is our question for the week. I I would hope so. I don't, um, you know, just in, in my circle of friends, I want people to be honest with me. I want people to be close enough to me that they can confront me and say, that wasn't appropriate behavior. That wasn't something you should have said, or you shouldn't have said it in that way. Um, Because you can't change. You can't grow unless you know that that was something offensive or that was something maybe you shouldn't have done. And so I, I think when I have those friends that offer me that, yeah, it kind of hurts at first, but it makes me pause and think, you know what, you're right. And I shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, ladies like to office gossip a little bit, just little, and maybe that's not just something we ought to be doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think for me too, it, it also depends on who is in the relationship I have with the one who is offering me advice. Um, I'm very nice. standoffish if it's somebody that I just don't know or somebody I know that just doesn't like me, then I get a little bit more fired up. If it's someone who I know cares for me, it mm-hmm. I have a better reaction. I'll say that. Like, right. I know that they care about me and love me. And so they wouldn't say something just to see my head explode. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, but it is hard. Um, yeah, and and you know, as you were saying that, it just sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, there. I'm good. I'm done. Yeah, as you were saying that, that I just uh, I feel like sometimes this is just a personal confession for me. I feel like sometimes people might have a harder time coming to me and confronting me with things because I am kind of standoffish at times. I can be, you know, my wife has to tell me at times that I'm that I need to be more. I need to be more open and I need to be, you know, talking to people more because I'm, I'm naturally, I'm naturally standoffish. I'm, I'm an introvert and it looks like I'm just scowling at everyone. I have like that resting scowling face and I don't mean to be, (laughs) but, but it makes it harder for people to come to me and say, Hey, I really think you need to hear this. Um, and, and I don't want to be that way. So I, so I guess, I guess my main point in saying this is if you want, if you feel like you need, if you feel like you need correction or if you want to be open to correction, then just try to make yourself more open to people and make yourself more available to people so that they feel comfortable enough to come to you and maybe correct you or uh, share some insight about you that you may not realize. Yeah, I think that's probably when the psalm talks about the or the proverbs and psalms when it talks about being open to instruction. Mm-hmm. There's a certain it's not. I mean, that's almost it's almost a way of life that you live yes. your life in such a way that you're open to instruction. Then when it comes, yes. it's not as hard to swallow, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a humility aspect to it, and then there's a, a desire to be better. Um, mm-hmm. It's like you know when your mom says. Well, somebody, when you're one of your teacher's mom or something, you've probably heard this. When someone criticizes you, if you're in the mode of saying, okay, first, 
what did they say that was truthful? Mm -hmm. And then what did they say that was harmful or wasn't true? And you can throw that out, but you at least find, is there a nugget of truth in what they're saying? You don't have to mm -hmm. be offended by it, but at least I think that's what scripture means when it, when it says like the wise person is open to instruction and then mm -hmm. the wiser person probably knows how to instruct a little bit better than, uh, uh, I mean, like when you, when you approach someone, the a really wise person will know how to instruct someone or to confront mm -hmm. someone in such a way that they mm -hmm. know it's for good and, and love and all that stuff. But anyway, mm -hmm. I think it's also important to recognize that being wise and open to that. That's a process. Helps us. It is a process, but it also helps us grow with God. When we get to a point where we just think we already know everything, yeah. and we're not willing to change and we're the best that we're going to be that's when we get into trouble yeah. it's it's recognizing that we're never going to be fully finished this side of heaven yeah. that god is going to continue to show us things about ourselves till till we take our last breath and that's okay it's yeah, totally okay and the way we respond shows if we're being in the faith or if we're mm -hmm. immature and and anyway, it's a tough one, but it's necessary. And I guess I'll say this here, like for the first five or six years I was in ministry up here, I had an accountability partner, like another pastor um, who like it was his, it, this was part of the rule of life thing that I did. Like it was his job to be like, are you terrible this week? Were you terrible this week? And if you were, <laughs> why were you terrible? Have you repented of being terrible? And, and then I think I scared him off. No, he actually got another church somewhere else. And so, but it was good exercise <laughs> for me. Like, um, we're not, I'm not trying to say Catholicism, go and confess all your sins or all that jazz, but there is something about someone that you're close enough to that, that they've been assigned uh, in Celtic Christianity, it's called a soul friend, but they're kind of assigned to kind of observe and to ask and to poke around in your spiritual life and, and see where you're at. And, and that, that's helped me a little. I'm not there yet, but I strive toward what is ahead. Yeah, like, it's, you know, a there's, there's a real, it's a process. There's a real comfort in, in confession and absolution. Yeah. So, you know, whenever you have someone in your life that you're able to confess your sins to and have them reassure you of the hope of the gospel, that's, that's something precious. It is. Yeah. It is very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Anything else on the exploring scripture there before we jump into digging deeper? Yeah. Okay. Digging deeper. Chris, where were you heading with this one? All right. So Jesus uses those quotes from Isaiah 58 and then also Isaiah 61, right? And essentially they were warnings to the Israelites about false worship and oppression. That's what I've said in that first. And in the context, so then that's, I think, what sets them off. When, when Christ starts using that and then fully exposes the hearts of the people around him, they're like, oh, he's saying that we're as bad as the most wicked generation in, in Israel's history. And, and so that, again, like we were just talking about, that set off the, who is this guy, right? He comes in here and he's talking all this trash isn't this just Joseph's son, right? That was the, 
they in Proverbs, they would be the fool, not the wise people, because they, they weren't mm-hmm. submitting to um, instruction. Um, but I think what I was trying to get to there, Luke says they came, they wanted to see miracles and they wanted to see the, mm-hmm. the show that Jesus had become famous for. And I think Jesus was trying to get them to the fact that the biggest miracle that could happen is that their heart be turned right. They would be turned toward God completely and then toward their enemies or the people that they felt were below them. That was the show and that was the miracle. And he wasn't giving them what they wanted. And then they got mad because not only did he withhold the blessing from them, he also said, and you're terrible. (laughs) So uh, of course it started the, the, the process of them getting mad and wanting to throw them over a hill and all that good stuff. But that's where mm-hmm. I was going to. Yeah. Like, uh, I, like we were just told not to say this on the video, but we were talking about this before. <laughs> Preparing for the lesson that we're, t- what we're doing now. Yeah. We were, we were, pre- <laughs> as we were preparing for the lesson, we were talking about this before. And um, I, this is connected very closely to John chapter six. Um, where they come to Jesus after Jesus has performed this miracle of feeding the 5,000. They come to Jesus and they say, what can we do to be doing, or what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus's response to that question is, this is the work of God that you believe. So they're asking about works, plural. You know, what is it that we can be doing? What do we need to put our hands to? How can we replicate what's what we're seeing and jesus says no no no. this it is the work singular not plural it is the work singular of god that you believe so mm-hmm. believe and they're not going to you know they're not believing right. they're they they have this narrative in their mind and they're going to follow that narrative all the way off a cliff to the pit of hell mm-hmm. and they're not wanting anything outside of that narrative. Mm-hmm. And Jesus comes along and says, no, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now believe I am the Messiah believe. And they're not mm-hmm. believing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's un- Chris, I, it is uncomfortable. And I think you say that in um, bottom or top of page 49, you say you are so concerned with being Jewish and being God's chosen people that you have forgotten those in the greatest need. They were they were so focused on on just being, uh, you know, the top of the class <laughs> that they forgot about everybody else. And and I think that's what Jesus confronted. And that's what Jesus confronts with us today. Is is we make how many times have we made Christianity becoming a Christian very complicated? And, 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 and it's not, it's not complicated. Now, walking the path is a lifelong process, but believing is, is that event when you really accept Jesus for who he is, that you repent from your past sins and you, and you believe, and then you start down that long road (laughs) where God continues to confront us on our behavior and I think that's what you were kind of getting at in part of this um, was that Jesus was confronting them and saying, listen, you're so busy just 
thinking you're the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. So in, in, in a sense, they were looking for a Messiah to confirm that they were the best. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, eh, no, nah, not really. You're kind of like that other adulterous generation. And guess what? I'm going to bless the Gentiles, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not God's people. This, you've not been circumcised in your heart and uh, you don't, you don't do the things you should do. And so I'm going to take it elsewhere, just like Elijah and Elijah. And so, yeah. Well, and for those Jews, they were looking for a Messiah who would be a political leader. They were looking for a Messiah who would be a a leader of armies. Um, You know, they were looking for someone to overthrow the the Roman government and put them in power. And, And even Peter, Peter himself, was still hanging on to that idea all the way up until Jesus ascended. In Acts yeah. chapter 1, you know, Peter asked Jesus, as Jesus is about to ascend, he says, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now, that's not, Is it now? Yeah. Are we going to do it that, now? <laughs> that's not an eschatological question. That's a political question. Right. You know, we always read that and think, well, Jesus is talking about the end times after, after all the blood moons and after all the dispensational crap happens. No, Peter is asking about, asking a, a, a political question about then and there and he wasn't getting it and he didn't get it until after pentecost happened um and i think i think in a way that's what we're wanting jesus to do for us you know we want jesus to dispose of those dirty whatever in power we want jesus to depose of those dirty republicans in power those dirty democrats in power and put us holy people in in office mm-hmm. so that we can you know do whatever but chuck colson was right when he said that the kingdom of god doesn't come on air force one right. you know you can't you can't vote in the kingdom of god yeah. so <laughs> the kingdom of god is not over this world so you know Follow it's Jesus. A hard one to that, work in. Right. Right now. You know. Right. Yeah. Follow Jesus. He's the only king worth following. Yes. Amen. Very true. Very true. I really liked your discussion question that you asked with this section too. You said, when have you been discouraged from trying or achieving something by the people you grew up with or by your own family? And how did you respond? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for us to look at um you know so many times and i know I'm, I'm guilty of this myself and and there's a reason i don't live where i live <laughs> you know uh, where my parents live um is is the majority of the time that i was running from god and, and that decade period where I did all sorts of unmentionables um, to save my mother any embarrassment. Um, and, and I hate, I love my parents, but I hate going back to visit. I really do. Um, because I'm always afraid I'm going to run into people from my past who are going to go, you're a what? Right. You do what now? You know, and, and I'm not prepared to deal with that kind of attitude, but we do the same thing to people that were in church, left church, and turned their lives around and have come back to church. People are are sometimes afraid to come back to church because they're afraid of what people are going to say that know them from their past. Um, you know, I think that's where a, a mission statement comes in. Like you're focused on one thing. It's mm-hmm. submission to Christ, to glory in Christ. 
And when you, when you focus on that, it is a little easier to let things roll off your back, right. And, and go on. Um, but it's mm -hmm. hard. And, mm -hmm. um, anyway, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're here, Becky. You know, a little Miranda Thanks. Lambert video of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll move on past that one. Anything else in this digging deeper section? I think we got, you know, I, I think this was just uh, coming back full circle to lesson one. So, you know, for you Sunday school teachers and people out there who teach classes, you know, go back and read the first lesson again and you'll, you'll get a lot of material and you know, just kind of remind people that, you know, the narrative lectionary is allowing us to come full circle. Mm -hmm. yeah. We get to see that whole picture instead of just the bits and pieces we're putting the whole mm -hmm. picture together. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. How about learning from scripture? Chris, where were you heading with this section? Let me pop up my screen again. Um, um, so I think it's important. I remember being taught this in Bible college. If you look at the book of Acts, um, it starts out by saying, Dear Theophilus, in my former letter book, I, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach or or began to teach and to do. And one of the, uh, I think it's the NRSV that uses the past tense, all that Jesus did and taught. Uh, but that's a bad translation. The translation is supposed to be, in the former book, I, I wrote what Jesus began to do and to teach. All right, so then in Acts, what you have is Christ being, ascend, you know, Christ ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down. And therefore, Christ's ministry didn't stop. But now the church becomes the enfleshed um, uh, ministry of Christ. And so that's mm -hmm. where I, that St. Teresa Alvia, which some people have written in, you know, different places where we're the hands and the feet of Christ. Literally, Jesus didn't stop. Instead, the ministry is through the church, the body of Christ on earth, to continue to do that mission statement, that jubilee year. To, to free the oppressed, let the prisoner go free, these kinds of things. This is our mission, and we got to be, that's what we've got to be about. That's our mission statement, if you will. Uh -huh. um, I've always got a book recommendation for everything, but um, J.D. Greer wrote uh, a book called Jesus Continued, and he's following that thought, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit is working in the church, and the church is acting on all that Jesus began to do and teach. Yeah. And I love the subtitle of that book too, because it's about the Holy Spirit. So that, so the full name of the book is Jesus Continued, Why the Holy Spirit Inside of You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. Yeah. And so he kind of makes uh, the argument uh, that, you know, Jesus himself even says, I need to send you the Holy Spirit. And we don't know how to relate to the Holy Spirit because we don't, every time we talk about the Holy Spirit, we get uncomfortable because we think of those crazy Pentecostals over there. And so what happens is we end up we end up relating to the Holy Spirit the same way someone might relate to their pituitary gland. Like, you know, you have one, but you don't know what it does. So <laughs> we we have the Holy Spirit, but we don't know what it does. And so what Jesus what Jesus says is, you know, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to continue my work. Right. And. Yes. You know, the, this is this is why we exist. We don't exist because someone with a lot of money some time some time ago decided you needed a local church, 
you exist because you are the hands and feet of Jesus in your community. Mm -hmm. And when you lose sight of that, you have lost sight of what it means to be the church and have instead embraced what it means to be a social club. Right. Hey, mm. preach, brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. So John 14, this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And that's what Logan is getting to. When Jesus is on earth, when he was on earth, he was, I, I don't think he ever went, what was it, 150 miles away from the place he was born? Or it Something minus like Egypt. Something right. Close, he went yeah. to Egypt when he was a baby, came back. But the church is throughout the world, right? Like that is a great work. And the Holy Spirit uh, is doing the works of Christ through us and can do multiple times more than whatever Christ did when he was on earth. And, and, and so that's, that's what the, what I was getting at in that is that we are the continuation of a good work mm -hmm. in the name of Christ by Christ. We are possessed of the Holy Spirit, technically, if you will, uh, to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that brings us right back to the introduction where you're talking about the mission statement, you know, that you're, you say in this section that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church collectively, but also to each believer individually, that we all take part in the mission of God as outlined in this passage. And that brings us right back again to the beginning of the lesson, that the church has a mission, each individual congregation has a mission, but each individual person has something that God is calling them to. And that's what we're supposed to be, the Holy Spirit's supposed to be helping guide us if we, if we listen, right. if we listen. <laughs> you know, are we listening to that call? But then you go on, and I love this section because, man, this really hit home. You say it's very easy, however, for us to be sidetracked in performing this mission. Yeah. Um, and, and it can be sidetracked with good things. Like, yes. you can be sidetracked by being a really great father. You can be sidetracked by being a really great husband. You can be sidetracked or mom or, you know, mm -hmm. wife, whatever. Um, and and you, can, you can do all kinds of – but then – when you are you doing what Christ has called you to do? Like if you're working 80 hours a week because you want your kid to go to college, maybe, but are you, are you displaying God's grace the way you should or whatnot? Right. So mm -hmm. it's just easy to fill your life with good things, but not necessarily Christian things, as I've said before. Um, yeah. And or, it's easy to get sidetracked doing Christian things. Uh, you know, a lot of times churches will get so involved in, mission work, outreach work, whatever that happens to be that, that you get so focused on that project that you forget what the purpose is, that the purpose of that project is to share the gospel, to share that good news with others. But we get so focused on this, that we forget that this, that's what it's about is being the hands and feet and sharing that good news with other people. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I was, I've told you that I've told you guys this before, but there's this, you know, nonprofit in New York where, you know, they're called, they're called God's love and, or the love of God or something. It's, it's like, it's something like that in their name. And they were started by a Presbyterian church back in the eighties. And the, the goal originally was to, you know, show God's love to those experiencing homelessness and they would they would give them food they would give them water they would give them whatever they needed including a bible and they would get them connected into the local church well 
you know, now the pagans have gotten a hold of it and they don't even do anything religious anymore, but they, they still call themselves God's love. And, you know, they don't, they don't do anything with the local church or anything like that. They just, you know, they, they've gotten so caught up in doing good works that they've mm-hmm. forgotten their original mission. They've, they've forgotten their original vision and it's not even connected to Christianity anymore. It's just good works right. for the sake of doing good works, which That's is, right. yeah. That's what happens. That's what I, that's what I think yeah. I want uh, people to be aware of. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. If you don't have that mission in front of your face. Yeah. And you close, you close with a great discussion question to that section by asking what distracts you from your spirituality? Because the world is really good at distracting us individually, not just as a congregation, but individually we get distracted from our spirituality. And I think that's a great question to ask ourselves. What, what are our distractions and where is our focus? I think that cuts deep, man, because... Well, it cuts deep for me anyway, because I'm, I'm a preacher. I love preaching. And so because I love preaching, I'm going to be doing all the nerdy stuff like reading and doing research for, for sermons. I'm going to plan out my sermon series. I'm going to do all Mm -hmm. the nerd stuff that's involved in preaching. But, you know, at some point I've got to, at some point I've got to take care of me spiritually, right? I've got to read the Bible for myself, not just read it to study. I've got to do devotions for myself. I've got to hear from God because if I don't hear from God, then, you know, the congregation's just going to hear from me and that's not good enough. No. You or FF Bruce or CS Lewis or Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Right. Whoever or, else yeah. Read, right? <laughs> they're they're going to either hear from me or just hear from whoever I'm reading. Right. 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 That's a really good point, Logan. Um cuz I think as pastors we are very 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 guilty of uh, spending all of our time in sermon prep and not uh, feeding ourselves and making sure that that we're staying connected um, because we're so busy trying to connect others that we forget that we need to work on ourselves too you know i grew up i grew up pentecostal man and like one of the things they drilled into me that i that i think we need to recover is the importance of prayer yeah you know they you know, spending, spending time with God. And I'll give you an example. And I don't, I don't mean this to, to brag on myself because my wife and I don't do this, but um, there's something important that's been on my heart and my mind. And I just, I texted my wife yesterday and I said, tonight, you and me, it, it it's an hour of solid prayer. Mm-hmm. And so last night we turned on like a, a playlist on YouTube that just played like piano hymns or something. And mm-hmm. we prayed for a solid hour. And after we get both got done praying, I looked at my wife and I said, did you get anything? And she said, not quiet. Did you? And I said, not what I was looking for. And I, and I, and then I said, all right, we're doing this again next week. We're going to go back to the throne room every week, every yeah. time until we get what we're seeking from, from God. And I think that's what, I think that's what we needed to recover, man. I didn't, I didn't mean to get to, into preach mode there, but <laughs> we need, we no. need to recover this thought. We need to recover this, this mindset that we need to go to the throne room of grace and, and mm-hmm. get power from the Holy spirit, because we're not mm-hmm. going to function without power from the Holy spirit. Yeah. And that's a really good point. And, and I will send these to Chris. So they will be in the resources, but 
there are a couple of great books that we studied, uh, my congregations and I studied um, this last year, one of them being The Circle Maker, and I can't think of the other one off the top of my head, um, but I will send those to, to Chris so he can put those in the resources. And it's all about centering your life back on prayer, getting back into the throne room. So great, great thought, Logan. Got to do it. Anything else on this section? No, I don't think so. I don't believe. Hey, applying the scripture. Here we are. Um, so I think I did that this time. You did well. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, so I think this story that I use does what I want it to do. Ministry is hard. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're doing this, there's going to be 17 things that get in your way of preparation this week. There is going to be maybe some really joyful thing that you're like, oh, praise the Lord. I am a Sunday school teacher. And maybe I had a hand in helping out this family or this and then there are going to be times where you're just lower than the lowest valley because something went wrong, right? Mm -hmm. and, and those kinds of things, if you're a preacher, Sunday school teacher, elder, if you're just a human being, those massive swings looking like a rubber band just going back and forth can get you completely out of whack. But what Mother Teresa, when, when somebody asked, how do you do this amongst all this? And she said, well, I just focus on Jesus pretty much. I do my work for Jesus. I, 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 I serve in the name of Jesus. I love in the name of Jesus. I keep focused on Jesus Christ. I'll keep focused on this mission. And so whether a good thing happens or a bad thing happens, she stays in the middle. There's a Vanderbilt coach, ex-Vanderbilt football coach, uh, which I think was just hired by Auburn as a defensive coordinator. But anyway, um, I remember an interview one time to where he said, I need my team to stay here. I don't need them to be up here. I don't need them to be down here. I need them right here, yeah. right? In some sense, and what he was saying is, stay focused on this. Good things will happen. Bad things will happen. But if you start swinging emotionally, you won't be able to handle it for a sustained time. Spiritually, you won't be able to handle it for a sustained time. You got to keep that common, that core, that connectedness to Christ, good, bad, and different. And, and so you do that with that mission statement that really is mm -hmm. as a church, as a person, uh, so on. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you say, doing the work of God can be difficult. And if you don't stay focused, you can burn out and become cynical yeah. about the work. And people, you can become cynical yes. about people. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Yes absolutely you know how many times uh, I'm, i won't say now but when one of my previous jobs i loved all the people that i worked with but every time this one person's name came up on the caller id i was just just rolled my eyes i was like oh, here we are again you know <laughs> and we can and we can get that way we can get that way so that's a really really good point yep yep, yep. that's the way it works Logan, what'd you have in this section? You know, I think Chris just kind of laid it out right there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, stay focused on Jesus. And then the, he, he ends the lesson with this, with this do, right? With this, yeah. uh, take time this week to write a personal spiritual mission statement or rule of life. What is God calling you to do and how will you ensure that you stay on track. I think, I think it's, I think that's important. You know, what, why is it you exist as a person? What's God calling mm -hmm. you to do in your life? What's, and, and what steps are you going to take to get there? And then Chris, you bring up this whole rule of life thing. What's that about? 
So rural life is Barry Anderson's fault that I know it. And um, so um, he's a professor at the seminary or staff. But anyway, um, a rule of life is, is just a set of things that once you think, how am I going to become the person God wants me to be, right? And so a lot of times a rule of life will say it'll start maybe with your time. How, and, and you start, how many times a day am I going to pray? How many times a week? What, what am I going to do with my time to ensure that uh, I am staying on track? The next thing could be like your family. What are the things you have to do to glorify God in your role as spouse, as your role as parent, or as a single person or whatever else? The next thing might be, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you've thought about that you say, I have to do this. It could be making time for friends. It could be mission work. You could say, okay, once a year, I'm going to go to Haiti. Well, you know, once every month, I'm going to go down to the local food shelter and help, whatever it is. And the reason why the rule of life is, is so important is because it, it takes the decisions out of your hand in a sense. So I, I explain it like this. When I was a manager at Crystal's, if you don't know what a Crystal Burger is, you're missing out. But most of our churches are within a drive of a Crystal Burger. Anyway, people would come in and they want to do something or they want something and it would be against company policy. Everything in my body wants to make someone happy, right? But the company policy is I can't do it. And so I can say, sorry, I can't do that. It's, it's against our rules. Like there's no discussion. Right. Like they can, they can beg and plead and borrow or steal, whatever, but I, I just can't do it. It's against the rules. It's written right here. And so in some sense, what a rule of life does is if you take it serious, you simply can't do certain things or you will do certain things and it is non-negotiable. It's written down. You, like it's the rule. <laughs> I, I have to do this or I can't do this. And so in some sense, it does help to keep you on track. You can't even entertain it. Like, you know, if part of your rule of life was every week I'm going to church and you're serious and that's the rule, then, then you can't miss, right? Now, if you're sick or mm -hmm. something like that, but like two or three weeks, your buddy calls, say, let's go fishing, let's go play golf. Uh, you can't, sorry, we can do it on Saturday, we can do it on Friday, but this is my rule of life. And so in that sense, it works as a mission statement. And so it, but the prerequisite to it, Logan, is like you said, you spend some time in prayer and say, what is God expecting of me? What, what, what you ask the Lord, what will make me the best, human being created in the image of God I'm supposed to be. And you write those mm. things down. And continually, because like if you write one down when you're single and you get married, it's going to look different. It should look different, actually, if you get married. Your role of life should be a lot different than when you were single. Help. Have Help. a kid or so on and so forth. And as your job changes. But um, anyway, that's what a role of life is that I find very valuable. And I'll put on some... Um, in the resources, I'll put some examples that you can look at and, and ways to start doing that. Very cool. Sounds good. That's, yeah, great way to keep ourselves focused, like you say, um, on Jesus without burning out and making sure that we're being the best that we can possibly be. Yeah. You know, for you theology nerds, think about it like this, you know, our confession of faith has John 3.16, John 3.16 stamped right above everything else in our confession. Why is why do we have that? Because everything we believe, do, and practice is under the heading of John 3.16. Think about your rule for life as the heading for your life. Yeah. 
how does what you do mm-hmm. fit under that? You know, if what you're doing or what you're not doing doesn't fit under your goal, your rule of life, then cut it out. Cut it out. So. And you won't miss it as much as you think. And you might ask, you know, how long does it take to, to do this? Well, experts say that habits take up to uh, 21 days to form. Yeah. So consistently do the same thing for 21 days and it'll become a habit and it won't feel as it won't feel as forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent uh, exercise to close this week out with as we look at mission statement uh, Jesus's mission statement and what he declared and how it challenged those people to change and change their focus and how it continues to challenge us great job Chris well thanks friends um I appreciate it I think next week um is that me again next week I think so it is I think it's the last one in January yeah all right um well, then I'll see y'all next week. Y'all get another <laughs> uh, But again, thank you, everybody. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to do right now, if you're listening to this and your church does a, a virtual study of any kind, if you will send me a, an email, cfleming at cumberland.org. One of the things we're trying to address with what we're doing right now is to allow this to be used for people whose churches just don't have the ability or cannot meet either in person or virtually. What I'm trying to do is to connect as many people as possible to other Cumberland Presbyterians. So if your church is doing a Zoom and you don't mind having somebody maybe from Texas or wherever join in, then please get a hold of me so I can make a list of churches where that's available and the contact person, uh, because we're really trying to um, make sure Christian education continues the best it possibly can uh, during this time of COVID. So, all right. Any parting shots, questions, comments, or snide remarks, as one of my old professors said. (laughs) No. Be blessed and stay focused. (laughs) Peace. Peace out.